0: So again, today's title is The Problem of Perspective, Part 2. Gideon's going to continue to struggle with his perspective versus the Lord's. If you're using the Bibles that we've been handing out over the last few years, if you're using one of the new Bibles, we'll be on page 175. And the old Bibles will be on page 223. And if you want to follow along at home, I'm using the New King James. And we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, and we're going to be doing verses 17 to 40. And I'm actually going to pick it up. I'm going to start reading in in verse 16. And we're going to kind of read through 21 for now. And we'll talk ourselves through this. So starting in verse 16. And the Lord said to him, Surely I I will be with you as you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. That verse, that's how he ended last time. And that's the verse of Innocent's promise and perspective that the Lord gave to Gideon. I will be with you. It's a wonderful promise that we read throughout the book of Joshua. We read here. We read in Matthew. We read of the promises of the Lord our God with us at all times. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So he is with Gideon, and he will defeat the Midianites as one man. Verse 17. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephaf of flour. The meat he put into a basket and he put the broth into a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on the rock and pour out the broth. And so he did. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed from his sight. So what do we have here? We have this encounter again. Gideon meets this angel of the Lord who's sitting under the terebinth tree. And over in verse 13, he says to him, O oh, my Lord, lowercase l, O oh, Adonai, O oh, sir. Gideon isn't understanding who he's talking to at that point. But now in verse 17, he says, If I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Gideon is kind of beginning to realize who he's talking with. It's kind of one of those pinch me moments and make sure I'm not dreaming. Give me a sign. He's, one, he's having these thoughts of, I think I know who I might be talking to. But I need to be convinced of it. I need to be sure of it. So give me a sign. So Gideon says, don't leave. Stay here. Let me go get a snack. Let me go get some, some meat, some bread, some broth. Let me go get some stuff and let us, let's kind of hang out and talk for a little while. And so he got meat and he got bread. He put the broth in, the, in a pot. And Gideon's probably thinking he's going to kind of hang out and fellowship with this guy and find out more about him. Really learn who he is. Really kind of solidify his own thinking and confirm who this man might be. And in verse 20, the angel of the Lord said to him, take that broth and pour it out. And that's a symbol that that shows us it's like a drink offering. It's a poured out offering. Now we have to ask, is this strange for Gideon? Has he ever done anything like this? It's a very unique request. Put the meat and the bread on a rock, and then take the broth and pour it out. Remember, for the last seven years... Israel has they have not been living like the people of the Lord. They've been turning their hearts on their backs. So we don't know the different rituals and the traditions and the different religious rites that should have been happening in Israel. We don't know if they've been taking place or not. And so this might have been a very unique or a very strange moment for Gideon of okay, I thought we were going to have a, have a snack. I thought we'll, you know, was going to be, you know, sit around and eat and talk. Be a stereotypical Christian. But instead, he's saying, No, 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 put the food out on a rock and then, in a sense, ruin it. Dump out the broth. So Gideon does it. And then, verse 21 then the angel of the Lord takes out his staff, takes out his stick, and he touches it, and it's all consumed with fire. Once again, I I, kind of have to put myself into Gideon's head here and go, What just happened? I thought we were going to have a snack, I thought we were going to have some food. He told me to pour it all out. Now, all of a sudden, your, your staff, your stick, you touch it, and it's engulfed in flame. This drink offering has now turned into a burnt offering. And that, has, that leaves me with the question of when was the last time that there was a burnt offering, a sacrifice unto the Lord in Israel? Is this pointing again to something more, showing that it's time for the sacrifice. It's time for something to be given back to the Lord. And so it says that the angel of the Lord, the end of verse 21, the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Literally, it means he went away from his eyes. He turns his drink offering into a burnt offering and he leaves. That's it. End of encounter. Or so it seems. Verses 22 to 24. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Now he's saying the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord. So Gideon says, alas, Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Where he says there, alas, Lord God, that means Adonai Yahweh, that is Jehovah. Gideon finally understands who he's talking to. He is saying, my Lord Jehovah. He finally got it. Now, the Lord had already left. And as soon as he leaves, all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and Gideon's like, wait a minute. That was the Lord. That was Jehovah. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. It's curious why he had to say this. Well, if you look at Hebrew tradition, if you look even back with Moses up on Mount Sinai, no man has seen the Lord face to face and has lived. Gideon was afraid he was going to die because he just had a face to face encounter with the Lord. Moses wasn't even allowed to see him face to face. Anyone that sees the Lord God face to face will die. So the Lord said to him immediately, Gideon's perspective, death, God's perspective, peace. God just told Gideon, I'm going to use you to defeat the Midianites and save Israel. So he just gave a promise to Gideon that he will be used to save the nation. Gideon's response is, I'm going to die. The problem of perspective. God just gave a promise and Gideon already is not believing the promise and is looking at the fact that he had this encounter and so now he's going to die So the Lord meets him right there in his need like he always does. He will always meet you in your need, in your time of concern, care, fear, worry, joy, triumph. He'll always meet you where you are at. And he says, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon, verse 24, built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace." And to this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abysserites. So we, what do we have here? We have the Lord speaking to Gideon, but his presence is gone. Sounds like us, doesn't it? The Lord still speaks to us. Sometimes he'll speak audibly to us. Sometimes he'll speak to our hearts. Sometimes he speaks to us through his word. But his physical presence is not here with us. Gideon is in the same state here that we are now. Second Peter, chapter one, verses 16 to 21 says this: "For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty, for he received from God the Father, honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased." And we heard his voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of god spoke as they were moved by the holy spirit that verse those verses should encourage us that what we have here before us this text was not just put together by men was not just put together as a as a group of stories for men to kind of believe in follow along and kind of buy into but the prophecies were given as men of God, holy men of God, were moved by the Holy Spirit and wrote down what they say. So what does that mean? That means that the word for us is more foundational than a spiritual experience. I can assume a spiritual experience in my life, and it might not be of the Lord. I might have this spiritual, warm, fuzzy I might look for an experience when really I just need to look to the truth. Acts 17 tells us about the Bereans and the Berean mindset. The Bereans were men that searched the scriptures to find out what is true. So how do we practice this today? Well, let's say I have a a spiritual experience. Let's say I come to church and I hear something and it's it's this amazing experience. And I walk out of church going, wow, that was amazing. The Brian mindset says you should go to the Scripture and make sure that's the Lord. You should go to the Scriptures and confirm it's Him who's talking to you and not just yourself. Spiritual experiences, they are very profound. They are very wonderful. But they are God's prerogative or they are His right or His privilege within His sovereignty, within His control and His power. We do not have Him in physical form today, but we have His Word full and complete and we have his Holy Spirit that can lead us properly through his word so we're in the same place that Gideon is and so he says there in verse 24 so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace the Lord is peace that is Jehovah Shalom now back in Exodus we have Moses coming to the burning bush and he asks, who shall I say sent me? And the answer is, I am. I am that I am. I am the becoming one. I am the one who becomes whatever my people are in need of at that time. And so how do we see the Lord God meeting his people in various times throughout the scripture? Well, in Genesis chapter 22, we see Abraham offering Isaac. Abraham under the obedience of the Lord, willing to sacrifice his son. And in that moment, we meet Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord shall provide. And he provided the ram who was stuck in the thicket. In Exodus 17, we have this great story of the victory, of the, oh, victory over the Amalekites. Moses' hands are being lifted high up on the, the canyon wall. And Joshua's in the valley fighting. And on that day, there was a great and glorious victory for the Lord and his people. And on that day, we meet Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is our banner. The Lord is our victory. Do we really believe that He is going to provide for us? Do we really believe that He is our victory and our answer? Specifically in America, this is a huge test. We get everything by the most practical needs possible. We get things in the most convenient way possible. We pay more for convenience at times, don't we? Well, it's 20 bucks more in the store than online, but I'm already here, so I'll just spend the extra money because it's more convenient. It's already here, it's done. I look at plane tickets, I've done, you know, doing a lot of travel. It's like, well, it's 50 more bucks, but it's going to mean I don't need a layover. All right, I'll spend more money to make sure it's a direct flight. We want things done the most easy, in the most easy and convenient way possible. Do we really believe that He is our banner? That He will give us victory? That He is there fighting on our behalf? Well, in Ephesians, we're told to put on the armor of God, not the armor of John, not the armor of man, not the armor of self, but the armor of God so that He can fight on our behalf. Again, in Exodus, we see that none of the diseases that came upon the Egyptians came upon the Israelites. And at that moment, we meet Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Here he is the Lord our peace, Jehovah Shalom. David talks to us about Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jeremiah tells us of Jehovah Sitkenu, the Lord is my righteousness. In the last chapter of Ezekiel, he is called Jehovah Shama, the Lord who is ever present. We see God in these various circumstances, revealing himself in kind relative to what is happening to his people at that moment. Here, Gideon is very fearful because he realized that he had a face-to-face experience with the Lord. He says, I have seen his face. And the Lord reveals to him and gives him peace. He builds an altar and calls it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. Do you have those altars in your life where you can say, this is for Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. He brought me peace at this time. I met Him. I met Jehovah Shalom at this point in my life. I met Jehovah Ra over here in my life. And always, Jehovah Shema is with me all the time. So relative in kind to what is happening to His people, the Lord will always reveal Himself. He will always become the I Am Relative to your situation. So he understands who he's talking to. He gets it. Gideon finally understands that he's talking to the Lord. And he finally understands that the Lord is calling him to do something. He's going to save Israel from the hand of Midian. But he doesn't go right from calling to the battle and victory. He's got to be built up. He's got to go through a process of preparation. Just like we talked about last week with Joshua 5 at Gilgal. And the cutting away of the flesh. So, starting in verse twenty-five. Now it came to pass that same night. So this is all in one day. Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press. The prophet shows up. Everyone's freaking out and says, "Listen, here's what's going on. Here's the deal. You guys are you guys are in sin. You're living as sinners. The Midianites are going to come in because you have turned your hearts from the Lord." Gideon shows up, we meet him, this angel of the Lord shows up, sits under the tree, they talk, the angel of the Lord leaves, Gideon figures out who it is, that same night, so all in one day, that same night, the Lord said to him, take note once again that his presence is gone, but he's still speaking. Take your father's young bull, and the second bull of seven years, and tear down the altar of Baal... That your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But... Because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Let's stop right there. So again, the Lord's presence is gone, but he's still speaking just like us today. And in verse 26, he learns the answer to his question in verse 13. In verse 13, I'll just read it. He says, why is this happening to us? What's going on? Why is the Lord allowing all this to happen to us? Well, in Gideon's community, Baal was worshipped right alongside Yahweh. Idolatry was taking place next to true worship. God is saying that he's not going to use an idolatrous people to drive idolaters out of the land. He's not going to use sinners to remove sin. So it was time for some house cleaning. The first things in all of our life should start at home and then work out from there. What are the idolatrous idolatrous things that we have in our homes? Alcohol drugs or pornography. Things that we shouldn't be watching. Music we shouldn't be listening to. That's always my favorite one when you talk to young people. They're like, no, 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 I just like the music. I just like the beat. Right. But you know every lyric that goes along with that music, don't you? Maybe it's not right for you as a believer to be listening to. We need to start at home. Psalm 101 verses 3 and 4 say this. Verse 3 says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall, shall depart from me and I will not know wickedness. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. What we like to do with that verse, we like to subjectively define it. What is my definition of wicked? Well, my definition of wicked might be different than your definition of wicked. might be different than, than my wife's. It might be different than my neighbor's. No, we don't define things by our definitions. We define things by the Lord's definition, by the biblical definition. So biblically, or according to the Lord, if something is wicked, what does it say? We shouldn't set it before our eyes a perverse heart or a twisted heart or a turned heart shall depart from me shall have nothing to do with who i am i will not know wickedness again that's not my definition of wicked wickedness that's the biblically defined version of wickedness i will not know it if the lord wants if i want the lord to use my life to save those around me should i not be living in a way that makes it easier for him. Does he need to work through the barriers of sin in my life before he can use me as an example in someone else's life? Or should I be living in a way where he can use me as an example right away as a vessel into someone else's life, as an example of what his kid should look like? But Gideon learns the answer. Idolatry was taking place in the house of God. And God was saying, this can't happen. We've got to clean the house. We've got to remove the stuff. So in verse 27, we learn there are some faithful men. Gideon took 10 men from among his servants. There are some faithful to him. Now, I don't know about you, but as soon as I start stepping out, as soon as I start doing things, that peace can quickly go away. And it says, you can see that the peace is gone because he feared his father's household and men of the city to do it by day. He did it by night. He was afraid of the people so much He obeyed the Lord under the cover of darkness. Maybe there's been things or components in your life that you are being obedient to the Lord and doing, but you're scared of the response of doing those things, so you you hide them. You do them under darkness. You cover your actions. You cover your obedience because you're afraid of man. There's only one man that we should ever be afraid of, and that's the Lord God Almighty Himself. Anyone and everyone else, if they have that power over our lives, I would, my challenge to that, my question to that would be, then what power does the Lord have over your life? I'll admit there are times I worry about people's opinions. I worry about their thoughts. But I've had to grow in my own walk. I've had to grow in myself of understanding and knowing everyone knows this. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone has an opinion. So are we going to choose to listen to the masses of opinions that are always going to be changing and usually pretty negative and, 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 and tearing down? Or are we going to listen to the one opinion that only brings life, that only brings encouragement and love, and that's of the Lord's? I would rather listen to that, but it's very hard for me not to listen to the masses. We don't like hearing negative things about us. We don't like the fear of man. So sometimes we do give in to that at times to try to make it easier on ourselves. And I get that. I do that at times. But we should all together be looking more to the fear of the Lord than the fear of man. Verses 28 down to 32 say this. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down And the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had all inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. Because he has torn down the altar of Baal. And because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all stood against him. Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself. Because his altar has been torn down. Therefore on that day he called him jerubbabel saying, Let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. So what do we have here? Gideon here is now putting his hands to the work of God. He's stepping out and there is no looking back. He is facing a threat and he is still moving ahead. And this action is going to forever separate his past from his future. Gideon was a man and the things of God resonated within his heart. Gideon was a man who was troubled. He was troubled by the fact that the children of Israel were in subject, subjection to the idolaters and the pagan people. Gideon was a man who asked the right questions of the Lord when he came to him. Gideon was a man who was overwhelmed in the presence of the Lord. And Gideon was a man. He was a human. A human And he had to make a decision to step out and to do the things that God had called him to do. Living your faith will always be challenging. But it is so much more rewarding to live out your faith than to hide in fear and to cower away. Well, in verse 29, who has done this thing? And when they inquired, they had said, Gideon, someone rats him out. Gideon did it. He did it. He's over there. Someone rats him out. doesn't say who. It doesn't matter who. Someone just calls him out. So it's, my question is, was it one of the ten faithful men? One of those ten guys that were his friends? Or was it, was it someone else that might have been up at night and saw him do it? But someone rats him out. And they say, Joash, bring out your son. We're going to kill him. Now before we move on, we've got to go back in time a little, a little bit. We've got to go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13, 6-10 say this. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend, who is as your own soul, secretly entices you, tickles your ear and says, listen to me, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, neither you or or your fathers, of the gods of the people who are all around you, Near to you or far off from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. So if anyone comes to you and says, hey, this is the right way to live, but let's go do this. Let's go live contrary to what we know to be right. Anyone comes to you and talks to you like that. What does it say? Verse 8, you shall not consent to him. Don't give in and don't listen. Nor shall your eye pity him. Don't be like, oh, you're lost, brother. Nor shall you spare him or conceal him. Hand him over, rat him out in a sense. Verse nine, but you shall surely kill him. Whoa! This is Old Testament law. So everybody, calm down for a quick second. Your hand shall be against him and put him to death. And afterward the hand of all the people. You sh- <clears throat> <you> shall stone <coughs> excuse me, you shall stone him with stones until he dies. because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. No, I'm not right now advocating murder of people that are t- trying to take you away from the Lord. Not at all. This is an Old Testament law. We're going to bring the application to this to Gideon, not to us today. So in Deuteronomy, the person who tried to lure Israel into idolatry was trying to be, was to be put to death. Here we have Gideon who is trying to call the children of Israel back from idolatry to save them from idolatry, back to the true living God, and the people want to kill him. This is all backward. This shows how powerful Baal worship had become in Israel. The heresy has become the religion. The lie has become the truth. Now Gideon should have been bold to begin with. Because what he did could never be hidden. He could never hide the fact that he tore down the altar. He should have been bold at the beginning, but he wasn't. And so now there's this entire ordeal of bring him out and kill him because he tore down the heathen God. Now, Gideon's dad, I need to make a mark on this real quick. Joash. His name literally means Jehovah is my strength. Good, strong name. But he was the custodian of the worship of Baal. We have a man who is characterized by the name of saying, Jehovah, Yahweh is my strength, but yet he was, in a sense, in charge of the worship of Baal. And what does he say? If Baal is a god, he doesn't need anyone's help. Let him plead, let him contend, let him defend himself. Yeah, I have to think, as a dad myself, i got to be thinking, man, my son's got more guts than I do. Me, Joash... Jehovah is my strength. I'm facilitating idolatry in the house of Israel. And my son is coming in and doing the thing that I could never do. And that's to tear it, out, tear it down and to build an altar unto the Lord. So Joash calls Gideon Jerubbabel. That means let Baal plead. Let him contend for himself. Let him defend himself. Again, God is not going to use an idolatrous household to call a nation back to repentance the house has to be cleaned if it's going to be effective maybe today god is challenging you challenging me challenging us to take a stand in our home it begins in our home and beyond that is continued obedience as the lord calls us out and sees fit verses 34 to or 33 to 35 Then all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east armed together. And they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. And he also sent messengers to Asher, to Zebulun, and Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. So Gideon and the enemy here, the kind of, seems to be an awareness of each other. Again, we can look ahead and see that the army of the Midianites is about 135,000 people. And in verses 34, 34 and 35, literally it's, it means that the, the, the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon like a robe. And Gideon blew a trumpet. Who knows how long it's been since a trumpet had been sounded in the camp. Under the, 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 the hand, under the control of the Lord, Gideon is drawing many out of the dens and out of the mountains. One man who is clothed in the Spirit of God is drawing many to himself for the glory of the Lord, not for the glory of himself. And now many men are gathering. Thousands have come together. We seem to be set. We seem to be primed for a great victory, a great battle, and a great victory. But not yet. Gideon's not quite ready. He needs to be kind of fleshed out a little bit more. So we have the story of the fleece. We've probably heard, if you know anything about the story of Gideon, you probably know the story of the fleece. So verses 36 to 40. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, just as you have said. And so it was when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, and he wrung the dew out of the fleece, It was a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Hold on one more second. Let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. Let it be wet on all the ground, but let the fleece be dry. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So we need to understand here, Gideon is not questioning what God said. He's not questioning God. He's, going, he's not saying, God, I don't think you're right. I don't think what you said is what you said. But what he is looking for is further confirmation or further encouragement. And so he's going to put out a fleece. And this fleece, whether it be a goat skin or a calf skin or a lamb's wool, or doesn't matter the animal, it was a kind of a supernatural test. It was a supernatural test of encouragement and confirmation. Christian, friends, you have all the tools you need today. We have His Word perfected. We have His Holy Spirit. God was patient in spite of Gideon's doubts. And the Lord strengthened his confidence. Now, I've, I've done a lot with the Lord in my life, and the Lord has done a lot with me and through me. And yeah, there have been many times where I've doubted what he's asked. As a younger family with you know, three kids, oh, pack up everything, move halfway around the world. Sorry, God, I'm not questioning what you said. I just need to confirm that I'm hearing you right. Yeah, you're hearing me right. All right, cool. Go do ministry for a while. Oh, five years later. Hey, you know what I told you five years ago? Pack up your family and move Do it again, but with one more kid. Oh, wait, not questioning you, but I need encouragement and confirmation that what I'm hearing is right. I know God has asked you to do difficult things in your life. I know God has asked you to say difficult things in your life. And I know this because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I know if I'm experiencing hard things, you're experiencing hard things. And in those hard moments, in those hard times, we can question God. Go, I don't think you said what you said. I don't think you're right. Or we can say, okay, I believe what you said is right, but my heart needs to be strengthened and encouraged. So Gideon has this test. And what are the two main things that we can take away from the fleece? Again, Gideon wasn't looking for guidance. He knew what the Lord was asking him to do. He wasn't looking for, all right, Lord, what are you calling me to next? He knew it. Go go fight the Midianites. Go to war. So he wasn't looking for guidance. He was looking for confirmation. God already told Gideon what to do. I'm sure there are many times God has already told you what to do, and now you're just kind of, in a sense, sitting on it and waiting until you're ready. Gideon also, this is the second aspect, Gideon asked for a supernatural confirmation, not a natural sign. Today, people use things as a fleece that could happen naturally. It's the wrong way to use and interpret this story. So, okay, let's just say, pick anywhere around here. Go over to, you know, over off of 10 or go over towards Newark. Okay, God, I'm going to lay on the ground. And if I see an airplane fly over me in the next half hour, I know it's you. Well, sorry, You're buying one of the largest hubs in the U.S. for airplanes. You're going to see an airplane. That's not how you use a fleece. That is a natural thing that will happen regardless of God's involvement. This was something that only God can do. Make this piece of animal skin dry and have everything else be wet. Okay, that's something only God can do. Or reverse it. Let this piece of cloth, this, this piece of skin be wet and everything else be dry. It's a supernatural sign, not a natural occurrence. Out here, pick anywhere up up in this area. Lord, if I see a deer in the next hour, I know it's you. I'm sorry, they're large rats, they run everywhere. You'll see a deer. Don't choose something natural. What we see here, however, is God condescending to a man of weak faith to assure him of victory. In a sense, God is bringing himself down to encourage this man up. God can and does give the same assurances today to us in prayer. Whereas Gideon laid out a fleece, we have prayer. We can just go to him and talk. Now, it might sound weird, but there are many times I talk to God like I'm talking to you. He's, my, he's a friend. He's my friend that's closer than a brother. He's also my Abba, my daddy, my heavenly father. I don't go to my earthly father and say, oh, father... Wilt thou givest my thine wisdom upon me? No, he's my dad. Dad, I need help. So if I can talk to my earthly father that way, I can talk to my heavenly father that way, knowing the respect and love I have for him. And what do I know about prayer? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Classic verses on prayer. I love these verses. Because they're not only encouraging, but they're also convicting. And at the same time, there's peace. Be anxious for nothing. What does that mean? Have anxiety for nothing It's very clear be anxious for nothing do not have anxiety but in everything by prayer and supplication and all things by prayer and petition by prayer and by asking God with thanksgiving we usually forget that part with prayer we usually complain or we ask but we're not very thankful let your requests be made, known, be made known to God. Talk to Him about, about everything. Don't be anxious about anything. Be thankful for everything and talk to Him about anything. And I love this. And the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding. So this peace is not a, a peace that we can humanistically understand. We can only experience. It's an experiential peace. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, what will it do? It does two things. It guards your heart and it guards your mind. Why those two things? Because if you're convinced of something in either place, your heart or your mind, you're going to do it. Whether or not it's right, that's a different story. That's a different conversation. But if you're convinced of something in your heart, you're going to do it. If you're convinced of something in your mind, you're going to do it. So he will guard your heart and mind in me? No. In you? No. In Christ Jesus. He will bring that perfect peace. He will bring something that we can only experience, and He will be the one that sets the guard around it. God is always going to meet us in our weakness. So what do we see today? What perspective or battle of perspective or problem of perspective did we see? We see Gideon's uncertainty, and we see God's gracious response. Gideon was very uncertain. He was very unencouraged. And God, in his graciousness, responded to him with encouragement, with peace, with patience, long-suffering. Responded to him in a way that built up Gideon. Now on Wednesday, again, join us Wednesday. We're going to wrap this up. Part three of the problem of perspective. I hope you can join us. We're going to look at, there's one more Aspect that Gideon has to battle through. I know a lot of you, I've I've heard it from a few people. It was, it was, if you if you're part of our community groups, there was one of the questions last week that talked about the rope example, and I didn't get to it. And so, spoiler alert, it's back on the sheets today for this week, and I want to bring that up because it really does have an impact, I think, and a really good ap- uh, application for all of us with this. So Um, great author, great teacher, Francis Chan. He has this example. It's the rope example. And it's one of my favorites um, when it gives about perspective. And now if you are all here in the room, it might have a a different impact, but we can use our imagination and we can can make this work. So imagine I'm holding onto a white rope and that rope is going around this room, call it a hundred times, just keeps wrapping all around this room. So there's rope everywhere, okay? And now picture... I have the end of the rope, and I have about three, four inches that are taped in red. Well, this rope that goes on for a long time, this represents eternity. This represents eternity in the heavenlies, okay? All of time, outside of time, God in eternity, that's what that rope represents. And that that little three-inch part at the very end that's taped red, that represents my time on this planet. Now, what I do in the end of the rope, those three inches, has an impact on everything, What do I mean by that? Well, if I reject Christ in this portion of of the rope, it's going to impact the rest of eternity. However, if if I accept Christ in that little part, in that end of the rope, it'll have a different impact on all of eternity. What we do here in in our life has an eternal impact. And we can be temporally focused. We can be focused on the temporary. We can be focused on that end of the rope that will eventually go away or we could be focused on the eternity after the the end of the rope and live in a way that impacts that more than impacts now. I wanna have an impact into my life today, but I don't wanna live in a way where my life now is the only impact I have. I wanna make an impact into eternity. One of my favorite kind of hashtags right now is make heaven crowded. And I love that attitude because that attitude is an eternal attitude. That perspective Moves me beyond myself, moves me beyond my life, and puts me to a place where I'm thinking of the eternal life, not the temporary life. Gideon, in his perspective, was looking at the now. God was looking at the end of the story when it's all over. That's why Gideon's in Hebrews 11. That's why he's in the Hall of Faith. Gideon knew who, or God knew who this man Gideon was. What he was capable of and who he was. And God's perspective was looking at the eternal side all the way back. We're going to be in heaven one day day, and we're going to be able to talk to this man. He's one of the guys I can't wait to talk to. Because we, just like he, could be so tempted to be so temporally or temporarily focused on this life that we're not worrying and wondering what God is doing in the eternal. Which is why I want to end, like I said, and we're going to end with the same quote today and on Wednesday by D.L. Moody. The world has yet to see. That means it hasn't happened yet. The world has yet to see what God will do with, and for, and through, and in, and by the man who is fully consecrated to him. The world has not seen it. And again, the question is maybe... You're that person. Are you that person? Are you going to be fully consecrated, fully handed over to the Lord that then we'll be able to see what God can do with someone that's fully given over to him? I want to be given over to him, but sometimes my my temporary, my temporal mindset doesn't allow him complete control. The problem of perspective. God's perspective is an eternal one humanistically, just because of how we are, we have a temporal perspective. If we allow that, that perspective of, of uh, temporary perspective to control our actions, then we have, we have a stopgap. We have a, a block. We have, a, in a sense, a glass ceiling on where we're going to have an impact in this life. But if we can look to the eternal and say, Lord, what are you doing here that's going to impact all of this? Now, all of a sudden, our lives become so much more dynamic usable and fruitful because they're in his perspective and in his control. Well, let's pray.